Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the Auto Sport Podcast. We review the eighth and final day of F1 preseason testing and explain why Ferrari really is ahead. Formula One testing is done and dusted. We've had eight days at the Circuit de Catalunya in Barcelona. And finally, we've got the the end picture of how things look going into the Australian Grand Prix in a few weeks. I'm your host, Ed Straw. That bleeping you may be able to hear in the background is related to the cooking going on in the adjacent kitchen in our uh, in our Barcelona pad, where our technical expert Jake Boxelleg is once again cooking up something uh, something excellent. As well as being a very good technical analyst, he's also uh, pretty good with a with a what a kitchen utensil. I can't I can't think of a single <laughs> you kitchen. Technical I cannot think of a single kitchen utensil to say. That. That's There's amazing. so many to choose from. I know. I know. I've now blanked as well. I know. You can't think of it because you put Pot. it that way. 
pan, spoon, fork, <laughs> knife, ladle, spatula. It. It's advanced, isn't it? Well, this is a this is a very promising start. Uh, two weeks of testing in Barcelona does that to you. I've got lap times just have taken up all the space where my kitchen's going. Like the Matrix. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's very troubling. The brain is a finite space. Exactly, exactly. Well, who have I got joining me today? Well, this is uh, this is our eighth-day review of testing, and it'll also be a kind of wrap of, of testing as a whole. So we're going to do it in two parts with a rotating cast. So in the first half... I've got first Ben Anderson. Hello, Ed. Do you feel like you know what's happening? I feel like we've got a pretty good handle on things. Um, only joined for the second week, as uh, dedicated listeners will know. Um, but it's been more a dedicated re- listening than you are turning up to testing. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> uh, yeah, not I'm not what I once was, um, which we could say of many of the Formula One teams during this period. Um, but yes, I think uh, the team on the ground has done an excellent job. I think we've got a pretty pretty good handle on the competitive order obviously with the usual caveats that apply concerning engine modes fuel loads run programs settings etc etc um yeah it's been an interesting week and uh, fascinating to see the emerging uh, competitive picture on the track and my other guest is tom errington i think this is your first formula one test for us you've been Which doing is, our, yeah. our live coverage on autosport.com yep as well as videos podcasts and all the other things running around the paddock speaking to people so are you are you about as delirious as I am in terms of remembering the names of everyday objects? Yeah, I mean we'll see how this podcast goes, but yeah, it's been it's been a long week. Yeah, very very much so. Was, I've already done better than yesterday when we recorded a podcast yesterday. I attempted to speak to one of you, having not given you a microphone, which was uh, not neither of you, but one of, uh, one of my guests, Jack Cousins. So that was a, that was a good start. But well, Ben, looking at the times today on the eighth and final day, this is. Symptomatic. This is the the test overall. The fastest times were today. Sebastian Vettel tops it with a one minute sixteen point two two one seconds. Lewis Hamilton was second for Mercedes on a one minute sixteen point two two four seconds. So that's three thousandths of a second difference. Nothing so, at all, is it? Well, exactly. It is nothing. The at timing all. screens actually had them identical for a for a period, didn't they? Uh, and it been, reset yeah. uh, to a to a four rather than a one. So uh, I didn't notice Hamilton that. was that close that even the timing loop couldn't determine the difference well there we go that's initially a, that's a very uh, very difficult margin now we've been talking about ferrari being ahead all the time so does that mean does that mean mercedes have suddenly leapt forward and and it's on three thousandths of a second comparable tires both on the c5 pirelli so is it well i mean it's certainly good news for mercedes to to bang in a a very strong lap time right at the very end of testing um we've been waiting to see a proper performance run for them this week. Um, Earlier in the week, they were edging their lap times down very slowly using the harder compounds. Um, seemingly a bit behind where you'd normally expect because of the massive aerodynamic changes they made at the start of the week. Um, I think ultimately they're close to Ferrari, as you'd expect. I mean, they're five consecutive world championship winning team. Um, but I think the evidence, when you dig down into numbers, still suggests that Ferrari have a, a few tenths in hand um shall, shall i bring the uh the smoking gun time into it then yeah yeah go for let's it. bring the smoking gun time into it obviously lots of different compounds there now vettel did his fastest time not long before lunch but there was a little bit of time after he then went back out on the c3 so that's a middle compound of of tire it goes from one to five in order of hardest to softest now he did a one minute 16.720 in that run which if you do even a fairly conservative fuel adjust brings him down to something like a 15.9 so suddenly, bang, back to that three-tenths margin that has been hinted at fairly strongly. Now, And there's no evidence that really that Mercedes were 
getting anywhere close to being in the 15s. I mean, interestingly, if you look at the lap Charles Leclerc did on Thursday, the penultimate day, um, which stood as the fastest time until Vettel and Hamilton did their their work on Friday, he was only a, a hundredth of a second down on Vettel's time. And he came out, he breezed out of the car at lunchtime and said, oh, there's way more in the car, way more in me. I need to learn. We're not at the limit yet. We know that car could easily go into the 15s. Well, we also know that Vettel didn't do his best last sector. On no, that indeed, well. yeah. So yeah, there's a 59 even in Vettel putting his sectors together today. And you can't really say that about Merck. The, the Hamilton, that was a surprise, really. Um, good news, because he was saying beforehand that he reckoned Mercedes could be up to half a second off. And of course, there's a bit of gamesmanship going on. Mercedes downplaying their hand. Mattia Bonotto was saying around the same time that it would be wrong to suggest that Ferrari were ahead. But when you look at the way the two cars behave on the track, when you consider how quick both Ferrari drivers have been with, we know, time still left on the table, when you consider Valtteri Bottas with a comparable run to Vettel in the morning, wasn't able to get within three tenths. Uh, in the same car, it just seems like everything's coming together that little bit easier for Ferrari and Mercedes are still finding their feet with this radically altered car compared to week one. Yeah, exactly. That's been the big story. This test has been that big leap Mercedes took with the car. We've spoken about that on our previous daily podcast. Now, Tom, you've heard mine and Ben's analysis of of where Ferrari and Mercedes is how do you how do you see it obviously you've been glued to the timing screens uh, all day and well in fact all through the second test so you've probably you've lived them almost yeah. almost more than us do you think it all tallies is there anything that you've seen that makes you think oh hang on a minute no I think the gap it's been mentioned sort of the point three, maybe point four at push tallies when we were looking at the long runs as well in that you know, Hamilton and Vettel in particular were lapping very very consistently the gaps between laps were pretty similar but Ferrari always seemed able to go that a little bit quicker and not lose any tyre drop off doing that and when you think that Mercedes had the graining problems earlier in the week as well and Ferrari never seemed to have that sort of problem either some of the teams did but Ferrari certainly didn't it looks like they're pretty much it looks pretty certain they've got an edge on the long run as well as the short runs as well okay today's been about those performance runs but looking back through this week as well it very much looks like Ferrari has the edge in all conditions and the noise coming out of the various camps I mean you haven't really heard any negativity from Ferrari. Yeah, they've had a few reliability niggles. They had the random uh, flying object or alien object that took out Vettel's yes, wheel yep. rim and caused that massive shunt. I think it was on Wednesday, wasn't it? Yes, um, it was. They have ceased to mean anything now. Yeah, yeah, they're all yeah one. it's all blurred yeah. into one a little bit, hasn't it? All one it? very um, long test. You know, they had this exhaust problem that shut the clerk down on Thursday. Um, a few stoppages, but other than that, it's all been positive and um you know Vettel even from day one was talking about the best first day of pre-season testing he'd ever had and really that momentum's continued all the way through they seem really relaxed happy with how things are going and when you watch the body language of the car out on track it just looks like a great car to drive it it looks like it's doing everything right and the Mercedes doesn't look like that it looks good in snapshots and it clearly is a fast package but it doesn't look like it's all together and when you you think of what Toto Wolff's been saying across the two weeks, what Lewis Hamilton's been saying, what Valtteri Bottas has been saying, there's there's always negativity in there, whether it's to do with tyre graining, handling, aerodynamic concept, the gap between them and Ferrari, little mods and adjustments that Hamilton suggests they still need to make before they go to Melbourne. Mercedes obviously are a great team, obviously it's a good car, but 
they are not looking as strong at this stage of a season as they usually do. And that is cause for concern in terms of their championship beginning. The interesting thing about the Ferrari is we talk quite a lot about how good it looks on track, great right? over curbs, good traction, everything. It's doing everything right. It's, it's the looked, car you want to drive. It looks it? exactly like the Ferraris looked for the past couple of years in terms of being mega on track, only almost better. The thing that I noticed today, I spent quite a lot of time watching trackside today uh, with Corinne Chandock. There'll be a, a feature on Auto Sport in the Plus subscriber area over the weekend with some of his uh, his impressions. Obviously, he's uh, he's been all over testing as as well. And watching down at turn one, there was a moment where Vettel turned in and the car just had a had a wobble. But normally, you see, you see drivers like get out the throttle; they they have to sort of delay, sort of back out and delay the, the proper turning. But the moment Listen happened, as if only you he, could see some of the movements that Eddie's yeah. making on the yeah, sofa. Exactly. As he I'm, this. I'm bringing it to life, aren't I? I yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm like a car. interpretive dance. <laughs> this <laughs> is a live stream. Exactly. Yeah. If this was if this was visual, it'd be it'd be perfect. But. He had the moment, but then brought the car back, and it just came back really quick. Because sometimes when you have that, you have to have a you have to back out of it more. And it, it just any time that car does do anything untoward, which does happen, it just comes back. There was another moment later where, obviously, when you get drivers on the on the power, particularly when the tire is starting to go as the throttle feeds in, you get the kind of little squirm at the rear, and sometimes go on for a bit. But the, the Ferrari saw Vettel having a moment earlier today in the last sector where. Got on the throttle and it just had the tiniest of squirms, and then it's just back, and so you weren't having that sort of period of delay, uh, that yeah, extended delay where you're not getting hard on the power. It's just when it does anything strange or problematic, sometimes because of driver error or whatever, sometimes you have gusts of wind and all sorts of things that cause problems. It's just coming back, which says to me, it's a nice benign car. So that means good mechanical platform, and it means that the aero works. It's not you know getting stalls consistent. all over the place, yeah. And together the platform and the car are working and that's really really encouraging it's not a peaky car in any way shape or form no and if you contrast that with say what i saw from daniel ricardo in the renault on uh tuesday you know it looked like a, a perfectly fine solid car and then he just ran a little bit wide into the fast uphill s turn seven and lost the rear got it back it was a superb save the, the save of testing as far as i'm concerned but it was a massive moment and you could just see that at a certain moment that car snaps and then it's really hard to get back. Whereas the Ferrari, as you say, they can the drivers can make small mistakes and get away with them. And that is a sign of a really drivable car. The Mercedes doesn't look like it has any particular massive evil vices in that sense, but it just doesn't look quite as together or as lively through the corners. Um a bit lazy at the front end, quite a lot of understeer I noticed. They were dialing that out, certainly as the week went on. But if you had to pick one of the two to drive, both high speed or low speed, the Ferrari is the one you'd want. I think we should also bring in Red Bull here. Uh, that Red Bull looks excellent on track, we might talk about that a bit in a minute. But Tom, what have you seen from Red Bull? My summary is inconclusive. Yeah, I don't think you can really place Red Bull anywhere. Um, when we've looked at the, the long runs, there have been various factors for why they haven't been, as you'd expect, it's hard to read a time from them. You've had various instances. Gasly's crash was a real killer in terms of trying to pick out where they would place in the field. Um, he was on a great race run, as you mentioned before. but It's completely derailed their final yeah, day, hasn't it? it That's totally the has. problem. You know, They had surely had performance runs planned to find out where they yeah. were and they just didn't get to do them Verstappen spent most of his day in the garage as yeah. a legacy of that crash yeah absolutely I mean when we saw the car come out after half an hour you'd think great they're back on track quickly could do ahead but it became quickly apparent 
particularly the barge board area, it was it was you know, old parts. It wasn't the new parts who were trying to run. When everyone was doing their performance runs, they were on the C3 mid-range, which Red Bull have used a lot, but we weren't able to get a real idea, particularly in, say, qualifying performance, where on earth they stand. I mean, Ed, you've, you've looked a lot of times as well. Where would you say they, they stack up, as best you can tell anyway? Yeah, Red Bull, there's nothing like we saw with Vettel. There's no smoking gun lap. You wouldn't necessarily expect Red Bull to set be trading fastest times. They don't tend to be, but you would see something more representative. That Gasly crash delayed the start of the day for Verstappen by half an hour thereabouts. Yeah, it was about 39 minutes. So that end. was a little bit irritating, but not a major problem. But then later on, gearbox problem. So 29 laps only for Verstappen today, so that meant no performance run. That meant no race simulation, which I'm sure there would have been. So that robbed us of the best Red Bull data. Looking back, the race runs and the long runs have been patchy. There's a long run a while ago. You can look at and peg it at about half a second off Ferrari, which I don't think is entirely accurate. If I had to put a spread on it, I'd say they are around 0.3 to 0.5 behind Ferrari. They are either a fraction ahead of Mercedes, level with Mercedes, or behind Mercedes. I have a suspicion they might be towards the upper range of that spread but they are the most inconclusive of all of those of of all the teams I would say but you know you speak to other teams they get to do all sorts of other analysis they've got extra data we've got I think everyone's fairly impressed with with the Red Bull and as we were from trackside I mean yeah look at the way it behaves it's Ferrari-esque isn't it in terms of its poise and its drivability I think the, the encouraging thing for Red Bull is the Honda reliability and performance they've seen from you know an engine they haven't had experience with before has been really encouraging max verstappen is a happy camper helmet marco i've never seen him have such a big smile on his face during pre-season testing so that's an indication that the the biggest limitation they've had over the past few seasons is behind them to a, a much greater degree than it was and also you would expect with red bull's simulation tools and development tools being so advanced and so accurate they will add a lot of performance to that car between Test 2 and Melbourne. So they will take a big step from where they are now. And if they are as close to the top two as you suggest, Ed, and as many other teams in the paddock believe, then actually they could potentially be a massive threat. The big unknown is obviously the qualifying modes. Honda suggesting that they've they've made a big step in that area, but they had a long way to, to come from. Well, the, so, fact, the fact is, with them, they may well have halved the deficit in qualifying modes, which means they'll be third fastest on qualifying, and then they could be second fastest or ahead of Mercedes on on race day. But that's kind of a, just a slightly stronger version of where Red Bull have been the past few years, because we have seen plenty of times where they've been third row fodder and then had quick car. But track position is really hard to get in Formula One. And, that, and that's the big problem. So we could see some of that. Again, it'd be really interesting to watch qualifying in Melbourne, see how this shakes out, and then see... Because we do, we do expect Red Bull will be stronger in the races. Slight question mark about fuel consumption on the on the Red Bull, I should yeah. add. And so tracks like Bahrain, a, for example, they could really, exactly, they could really yeah. struggle. But then you get Baku, to circuits... Yeah, Singapore. Baku, yeah, could, absolutely. could be a problem. But and then I, circuits like Monaco, you'd expect them to, you know, if on their normal development slope, to be a favourite. I think... I think that what we can be absolutely sure of is Red Bull have not lost out by moving to Honda compared to where they were with Renault. No. At worst. And And yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Tom. We will see. I would be, I mean, Monaco is the one that if you're, if you're in there in Japan and you want to get your first Honda engine win since Hungary 2006, of course, Jensen Button's famous win in the works Honda team. 
you will have a, a big circle around around Monaco and a few of the other Hungara rings another one Singapore uh, they may fancy their chances as well at, uh, at Mexico as we've seen in, in the past that's quite as uh, dependent so yeah good for good for Red Bull anything else you want to say about the top three do you well a, conden- a condensing of the gap I think that's the, the encouraging thing yeah, it looks yeah, like from everything we're seeing that you know whoever is ahead uh, they are all closer together than they have been um, and that's that's what we need to see because those races where Red Bull are just a distant third best, hopefully they no longer will be so they can start to bother the other two from behind. And we've seen in the past when they've had the opportunity, they can strategically outfox the other two or at least give them an extra headache that allows them to pick off cars that are nominally faster. And then the tracks where Red Bull were already strong, they should be stronger and then have a greater chance of victory and maybe they'll start to sneak into victory contention in some places where they've just been a little bit outside that bracket should we go to the midfield what do you think tom who's we saw this class b championship that was great the last few years and we've got this again this year but who is who is winning that group i think all of us are in consensus which is a rare thing but it's the no we're not (laughs) of course it's the uh renault and the Haas, isn't it really that we've talked constantly about how the Haas. Just looks like a car that a driver can get what he wants out of it. It's very predictable, behaves well. On the long runs, both Magnussen and Grosjean, they are lapping you know, comfortably a little bit ahead of everyone apart from Renault. And it's a B-class Ferrari, isn't it? It, it very much is, yeah. And it's you know, it's not losing much time over the stints. So Grosjean particularly is able to run some really long stints on the C2 and the C3. We had to wait a little bit for that from Renault, but with more as the week's gone on, we've been able to see them on that, and they look there. I think looking at it, Haas is probably... Just ahead, I would say. I think it's very, very close between them. And then you've got a bit of a gap behind them where you've got Toro Rosso, McLaren, and then unfortunately Williams is going to be at the back of a little bit of a gap to the rest of the midfield. Yeah, I think uh, Tom's broadly correct there. The I think there might be a little bit more pace in the Renault than we've seen. I mean, they, you know, we talk, we've talked a lot about Williams and how hard their test has been. And obviously they were late getting ready and they missed the first two days but Renault came very close to a similar situation Renault thought they might not make their pre-test filming day but they did Uh, racing point were very much on the limit with their car as well so the upshot of that is all those teams have been short of parts Um, and eight days of testing is quite brutal when you're running around for so many hours a day Um, the Renault drivers have been on instruction to be pretty careful with their machinery and not overly abuse it so that means taking fewer curves taking fewer risks accepting Daniel Ricciardo's super save that I mentioned earlier so we saw Hulkenberg wind it up a little bit in the afternoon final afternoon to a 16.8 which is about the best lap we've seen from any midfield car Um, but I think that there's more in the Renault Um, they've made a step on the engine people are talking 30 kilowatts Um, I don't know if Ed could quickly convert that to horsepower that's about 50 50 a bit Power, so, so that's a decent that's chunk of engine performance. They won't be using all of that. I mean, that's about the rule of thumb tends to be half a second. Well, it's it's ten brake horsepower per t- uh, per tenth of a per second. Tenth, yeah. If you see what I mean, so let's call that half a second. Or so, there's, so there's a step, a big step in the engine potentially, and they won't have used all of that. Um, so that that if things really come together and we're right about those things, then you know maybe they could sneak ahead. But then equally, the Haas. You know they'll they'll probably be running quite a conservative program. We know they can run quite a bit of fuel um, because they know the car's so balanced. So I guess the offset will be when you dump the fuel out of the Haas 
versus the Renault turned up and the driver's able to commit knowing that if they bend a wing or a wishbone that it can be replaced, who's ahead? It's I mean, going to be close, isn't it? It's difficult to call. Well, they, those two have certainly, I think, broken clear of the rest of the midfield pack in terms of the impression. I think Alpha were were there to start with, but they don't seem to have really moved on a great deal. The car um, handles quite nicely if you're Kimi Raikkonen, very positive front end, but that comes with a penalty at the rear. And I don't, I haven't really seen that car progressing much. It's quick, certainly, but lacks a bit of refinement. In its previous guise as Sauber, this is something that's been inherent to all of their cars for probably the last two or three seasons. They they begin the year with a rear instability, and it takes a while and a few aerodynamic upgrades for them to balance that out. And it'll be interesting to see how they go with Kimi driving, because we know he abhors understeer, so any extra rear stability they need will might not be preferential to him so i drop the alpha back slightly and then i think you've got the torosso looking decent we saw a 16.8 from kvyat today and a 16.8 from albin the day before though he made a mistake i think and he possibly could have gone a tenth or two quicker but i'd imagine that is absolutely balls out what the torosso can do principally because you want your new driver to know what the car would feel like in you know absolute qualifying conditions because otherwise he's got no reference for melbourne so I think that's a, a true indication and I think the McLaren's probably slightly off that and I think they've been running fairly light. Again, they've got Norris in the same situation. Um, where does that leave us? Racing point, they're the one that a little bit hard to read because the car's so undercooked and was so late and you know they're waiting for the investment to throw, flow through and the aerodynamic upgrades to be ready to bring. I think that they will make a big step. Um, I think That, that car's going to look very different want as the season progresses yeah absolutely so i think they might they might depending on how well their parts come together for melbourne they might leap straight ahead of torosso and mclaren from the get-go if things don't quite correlate exactly or they need a race or two to understand the package which we have seen in the past from them then they might start kind of in a fight with them but quickly move out of it once their development stream comes on at full pace and of course as we've mentioned williams they're well, off the back. We should get on to Williams, yeah. I will just correct myself and say that 30 kilowatts is more like 40 brake horsepower. Now I've actually, my uh, my brain is not doing its mental arithmetic very uh, very effectively, sadly. Mm. But still. A bit, a bit more effectively than you named kitchen objects, though. So oh, certainly. That's positive. Yeah. Cooker. There we go. Ooh. It's good. Yeah. Appliances, though. Yeah, uh, food processor. There we go. Panic. Microwave. Yeah, microwave. Oh, you see, I'm doing well. I'm learning. I'm learning. Um, Williams, yes. Uh, off the back. Certainly, they really hard test for them. Yeah, I mean, it's been difficult because the car's been getting quite tired. A car that's been rushed, I doubt, was especially well put together. I don't mean from a safety perspective, I mean from all that work you put in to make sure everything's absolutely just so. Well, it looks a bit rough and ready, doesn't it? When you see some of the close up pictures, the halo and and some of the suspension parts, it doesn't look like it's been quite so refined, shall we say. Exactly, but you also get... From a build point of view. You know, you get degradation on certain parts and... They haven't got bits to replace them with. Yeah, I mean, they they aborted a race run yesterday with George Russell because it was getting a bit pointless and they did the same again today. So, I think Williams... You know, they're going to be behind in, in Melbourne. And the real question is... How far behind? It, how far behind and how how good really is the baseline they've got there? I'm the, not, not very impressed with the car, I have to say. The, I last, think, the I last two days have sort of... Well, even the, the last day, 
they were quite happy with it at one stage, but I think it's just well, it looked it looked balanced. It's just, it's just not yeah, it's which just is an go, improvement on last year's massively just, unstable exactly, car. Yeah, yeah. But that's come at a cost of performance, as far as I can tell. There's no phase of high or low speed corners where it looks like it has really any proper overall grip. It just seems to be lacking load. But not only load, it looks a bit rough over the curves. It looks a bit unstable when it changes direction. What it looks and it like, doesn't look like it has good traction either. So what, what it looks like is more like a Formula One car at the start pre season testing does look like. Yes. Which they've kind of stopped doing this year, which is which is an interesting one. But yeah, Williams It looks uh, like a frustrating thing to drive and I mean Robert Kubitz, he walked he stormed past me when I was hanging outside the back of the Williams garage. Um not just before they stopped running. He went back out subsequently. Um he did not look like a happy man. Um you know, we saw that in his his interview afterwards at the end. It was quite astonishing in a lot of ways and very, very open and very honest in that you know, he feels he's going into Melbourne with the current state of the car that he knows 20% of it, which is quite staggering when, you know, everyone else has had eight days and the rest of it. And from the outside looking in, you can say, okay, they've, they've made laps. They've, they've caught up on that front, if you like. But as you say, the car being rough and ready, that's, if we're saying that the base is quite good, what you're asking of Williams there is an awful lot in terms of a development race to get that well, car into a condition to compete. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and even then, do that? And, even, and if the car base isn't where it should exactly, be, then yeah. it could be a horrible season. Well, well, we, we saw on the, the long runs that the the car just didn't have the pace where it could maintain any sort of consistency. And they focused on that very much beginning the week. There were a lot of harder tyre runs and they didn't really look at the C4 or C5 until later in the week. And then when they did look at the C4 and C5, Kibitz is a second off the person in front of him. I think that's that's the big fear. They, they've started the week talking up the, the baseline and you know the consistency of that, regardless of the overall performance and the development. But as they've started to run the car more, they haven't really gone anywhere with it. And technical expert Giorgio Piola suggested there's some nice little innovations on the Williams. But suspension's nice. Look at that front suspension, top wishbone. Yeah, Very Mercedes. I think Mercedes-inspired design. He suggested, but even but, even a sort of nicer version in a way than so he's done a good bit of engineering. But the, the doesn't win the, your races necessarily. In well, itself, it, like. exactly. The problem he he you know posited is that. Yeah, they might have two or three really nice-looking features on the car that are great bits of pure engineering in themselves, but what if they don't talk to each other? And the trouble is, it looks as as, the, as Williams wind up the laps and, and do more performance-focused running on the softer tyres, the car doesn't really work, and they don't understand it. Uh, the drivers look frustrated. Well, I won't speak for George Russell, but certainly Robert Kubica looks frustrated, a bit unhappy with his situation. Really, by the end of day four of this test for Williams, they should be on an upward curve. But if anything, they look like they've dipped down slightly and that's a serious concern heading to Melbourne, I think. Yeah, they certainly needed a, a strong finish. Well, we've had a bit of a discussion about performance, so thank you, Ben Anderson and Tom Errington. We shall be back after this with part two and a new lineup. Well, we've had a change in personnel, a change in driver lineup, if you like. And joining me, first is Jake Boxer-Leg. You've taken a few minutes out of cooking. Yep. Yeah. Uh, How's it going? Uh, it's going fine. Uh, I think uh, we're ne- nearing completion point. Um, but yeah, uh, still a little way to go. Uh, just like the Williams of this year. Uh, getting there, but not quite there. I hope dinner is in better shape than Williams. <laughs> I hope so too. Excellent. I I've never tried to eat a Williams in my life. so That's a good point. Well, uh, we'll, we'll see how the... How, I know you're concerned about the rice needing stirring. Yeah, uh, hopefully someone will uh, take that over. Um, have you delegated that to Ben Anderson or to Tom Arrington who have I've, moved to the kitchen? I've, I've taken a little bit of a Paddy Lowe role in that I've 
given as many people a chance to uh, perform. Uh, I'm just the I'm just the conductor of the kitchen at the moment. So excellent. And also joining me is Scott Mitchell, who this is your I think your first appearance on the testing podcast. You've been here every day, but you've often been uh, abandoned at the track because you've been on on point on news, as it were. Yeah, I think you've uh, with this little rotating cast of people that we've uh, had at testing over the last two weeks, you've finally exhausted all options and and you've finally had to resort to me. So I'm sorry. I wish you'd brought more people here so that you didn't have to. I was going to suggest that you'd save the best till last, but um, evidently my uh, self-esteem is so low that I can't even joke about uh, being particularly valuable. (laughs) And I'm next to you. (laughs) There we go. So you're basically like when you desperately need a driver and there's not many with super license and relevant experience and you just... We've got a Sauber 2015 situation going on here. I, I, I thought someone was going to make a joke and suggest that I was a particular F1 junior team that had run out of options and then sort of gone, oh, who can we put in? Yeah, bring bring back the crashy one. <laughs> that was the uh, thinking. Well, let, let's start with you, uh, Scott. You are on point on you, so you've heard from all the teams and drivers. Thanks, mate. We've talked at length about the performance, balance of performance between Mercedes and Ferrari and, and Red Bull, and we, we alluded to the, the sort of the, the who can be, who can be the most modest about their prospects that we had from Mercedes and Ferrari. Is that, did you take any of that seriously or was it just the usual everyone wants to downplay things? Well, I, I thought actually both of both Mercedes and Ferrari, the representatives re- representatives that we heard from them today were Lewis Hamilton and Mattia Bonotto. And actually, I, I, I kind of took them, I, obviously you take their comments with a pinch of salt, but I also thought that they were being f- fairly genuine in what they said. Lewis, Lewis said that, you know, potentially... We could be half a second adrift. And I don't think anyone genuinely thinks they're going to be five tenths off. That's a massive margin, especially if we think that Merck will be second, so or near enough second. So that's a huge margin. But what Lewis said was that effectively that that's where they might be at the moment, but Merck haven't really got the most out of the, the, the compounds and various things. I'm sure you've discussed this already. So Lewis did caveat it. He did say that, this is, you know, I think we're they're this far ahead, but there's loads of things in testing, so I can't possibly know. And then when Bonotto came back, about I guess about an hour and a half later, um, it wasn't like he suddenly got massively offended. He said, "I'm I'm happy that that Hamilton thinks that we're so far ahead," but he said it'd be completely wrong to assume that, um, and it would be completely wrong for Ferrari to think that they're in the clear. That that would allow complacency to creep in, and it would also encourage people to read a bit too much into testing when you know there are so many different variables so I don't think either of them were being 100% honest but I don't think that I I also don't think that we were being deliberately misled in in any way it's testing people don't know they sort of give their best guess don't don't they and it's interesting if I, I, I find it quite amusing and entertaining when um the each team engages in this you're better than me no you're better than me warfare it, it it just it, it keeps it interesting. It it makes you sort of work harder to find out what's actually going on. Well, uh, Jake, to bring you in on this, we've talked a lot about the Mercedes upgrade, the major update for the for the second test. How about Ferrari? We haven't seen vast amounts from them. What, what's your impression of what you've seen of the evolution of that car from day one to to day eight of preseason, if anything? Well, it's a, it's a bit of a different situation for Ferrari because um, they've obviously come towards a package that's pretty complete uh the roots are in last year's car which was still a fantastic car 
Um, but they've tried to just improve every little bit. Um, powertrains improved quite a lot over the off season. We can see that they've really worked hard on the cooling and stuff. So they've come in with a complete package. Um, Mercedes didn't, and it kind of that kind of skews things a little bit because um, I remember saying at the time uh, when the Mercedes launched, I was like, "Oh, that looks ready and raring to go." Uh, little did I know that it it wasn't, and that they were coming to week two with something else. Um, so basic i think the the perception is that mercedes have made all these gains and ferrari hasn't changed anything but ultimately i think they're both on their what they will go to australia with packages um there is a little bit of gamesmanship coming from both teams because they want to downplay expectations a little bit but yeah it's it's quite an interesting situation really you don't ever see you see teams perhaps if they've not got quite the finance to finish a car in good time turn up with an updated spec of last year's car for like the first test and have everything ready for the second uh mercedes have turned up with one specification of a new car and another specification of that which is a very uh, it's a a real oddity i think uh scott let's move on to red bull how happy are they with how things have have ended in testing or should i say how unhappy are they uh yeah well if you'd have uh i reckon if you'd asked this question I had appeared on yesterday's podcast I suspect the answer would have been quite quite different it I suspect it's going to be quite um bittersweet end to testing um bitter because the the team had to work very very hard to rebuild the the Red Bull after Pierre Gasly's massive crash on the penultimate day they flew in parts overnight they got out I think like 37 minutes or something after the day started so really really good effort considering the state that car was in and Max Verstappen managed 29 laps was it I think uh and didn't return again because it was a legacy of the of the crash the the replacement gearbox um so that's bad obviously they lost out on mileage I think they slipped to some I think they slipped to eighth on the the list of teams for, for miles completed so that was bad but I don't think it takes anything away really from what has otherwise been a really really productive test everyone that I've spoken to and seen from the Red Bull and Honda and Toro Rosso camps suggests that they're really happy with the engine the reliability has been good um, so I think it's a bit weird as, as uh, I wrote in uh, Autosport Plus piece that, that was published today that normally if you have two massive shunts in testing that cost you valuable mileage um, you would expect that to have a pretty big hit on team morale but I suspect, and in fact, Max Verstappen said this at the end of the day today, yeah, could have been better, definitely could have had more laps on the board. But actually, when you look at pre-season testing as a whole, I think they tr- they're treating it as a win. Jake, on the technical side, what have you seen from Red Bull? Uh, they came up with a new barge wheel package yesterday. Um, so one of the like the side pod turning vanes was, uh, which is sort of, I can't. it's very difficult to explain this uh, through a, a purely audio medium but it's all right barge board areas are very simple they're not lots and lots of bits at weird angles or anything oh yeah no not at all um but there was a piece uh, next to the side pod that was mounted to the bottom of the floor um and they've kind of split that into two little bits so um the the lowest point now has a couple of slots in it um and what is now the middle section it's attached to the floor, but it's sort of curled around to ensure that the bottom piece works a little bit harder and driving airflow around the side pods. So that was an updated barge package. And that was then promptly uh, put into a wall by uh, Monsieur Gasly. 
and uh, it meant that Rebel couldn't run it today, so they had to revert to a type with the old package. Uh, it looked like quite an interesting an interesting piece. Um, there's a couple of things this week that uh, I and our esteemed videographer Luke Hinsel had seen out the window, uh, especially around the floor area. Um, so they turned up with a couple of new bits. Um, they were testing flexure in the rear wing again, um, or rather the floor. Uh, I thought it was the rear wing in the first week, but it turns out it's the floor. Uh, so I was wrong on that, and Gary Anderson uh, was correct on that front in the video that we did about that. Um, but yeah, there's been bits and pieces. Uh, everyone's just bringing tiny, a, a little filter of little upgrades through. But um, yeah, I think they would have wanted to get more mileage on that bargewood system just to see if it worked properly. Unfortunately, uh, they had to revert to specification. Scott, uh, in terms of people you've been speaking to, should we go to the midfield? What, what have you heard from teams like Renault? Obviously, they've had a reasonable test, not stunning, not terrible. But are they are they in good spirits? Are the drivers talking up their chances? The team seems quite happy, both on the chassis side and the engine side. Which I must say, having it's it's weird. When I've done F one testing before, I've been basically focusing on the Autosport live coverage, and your job is obviously to follow every single thing that happens on track and then write the session reports. So, whereas uh, being here for two weeks this time, it's been more about obviously the news side of it rather than the on-track side. So um, I was uh, I was saying actually to, to Jack Cousins on the way home, the majority of sort of my insight has been formed sort of at the end of the day, going back and like listening to people speak. And it was interesting sitting with down with um, uh, Nick Chester and Remy Taffin, who are the chassis and engine technical directors respectively at, at Renault. And just hearing that they just seem to, they, they do just seem to believe that they've set higher targets for this year and hit them. And obviously they need to do that because it's a works team and they're trying to close that gap to the big three. But considering, I don't believe at any point they've really set the timing screens alight or anything like that. They don't think they've done anything, JBL, that's sort of uh, like stunned you on the technical side necessarily. But maybe that's what they need because we've heard a couple of times, especially on the engine side, Renault promise a lot and not deliver it. And that's ultimately what massively infuriated Max Verstappen and, and Red Bull. So perhaps this sort of new approach of it behind the scenes, set bigger targets and, and, and reach them through whatever changes in methodology or, or, or design or process is required and don't shout too much about it in public is, is starting to pay off. The mood in the team effectively seems to sort of outgun the the on-track evidence, certainly from, from testing and, and, and the stuff that I saw. JBL, in terms of in terms of Renault, where do you think they are with the car? They talked about it being all new apart from the power steering, lots of different bits on it. They had that problem with the DRS in the first part of testing when it when it failed when um, coming down the main straight. Are you impressed with what we've seen from them? Do you think they need to really add some, some aero to that car to try and move to where they want to be because they want to be clear of the midfield not not in it or at the, at the front of it even at the front of it isn't quite good enough yeah definitely I think I think it's just been a very quiet winter for Renault in some regards in that you know I can I can look at the car and go oh that needs X aero or Y aero but I'm not a professional engineer uh, obviously uh, um, you know it's, it's really hard to say because when you look at the package obviously they put 
the car through various simulations and they test on track and whatever package works for them holistically then that's what they'll go with um but it has been a quiet winter for renault they've come out with a car that doesn't look entirely dissimilar to last year's but um you know it, it's got its roots in what it had last year regardless of whether it has uh you know hundreds or thousands of new parts um you know you're still going to go with something that you're familiar with um I think the more the most excitement's been on the driver front because uh, obviously Dan Ricardo is there now, um, who seemed very good spirits when uh, he was being interviewed earlier, uh, and he's got Nick Hulkenberg alongside of him, who has it's his year to really prove something. So I think that's where the excitement lies on the technical side, maybe less so, but maybe they need that really just to just get just to sort of settle themselves and just build from uh, something they're familiar with, really. Uh, elsewhere in the midfield, Haas, we talked about in the first half of the podcast, being up there with Renault, potentially even just ahead of Renault, possibly. Have you spoken to many people from Haas? How are the drivers? Uh, I've actually been a little bit detached from the, from the Haas guys uh, over the last um, the last couple of weeks. I know that it's been it's been a really mixed test, and they do keep breaking down, which doesn't help. Yeah, exactly. That's the exactly. So the. They do seem to have pace, but they also do seem to be struggling to um, to hit it on the reliability side. I know they, they had a couple of setbacks on the penultimate day. They had a break-by-wire issue in the morning, and they had um, uh, an exhaust problem in the afternoon, one of two ex- Ferrari exhaust problems that were suffered on the penultimate day of testing. Um, Roman Grosjean sort of described it as frustrating. They, I think they knew in the morning that they were going to lose afternoon mileage on uh, the, the second-to-last day, but don't think they expected to lose much as as they actually did um Kevin Magnussen struggled for mileage I think throughout most of testing and it was just I think they just look at it as they they know they've got a fast car um although they seem to have a fast car anyway and they seem to have a car that the drivers can work with as well it does seem to be one that does react react very well does what they want to do it does seem very compliant as a race car so I think they're encouraged on that side because what's the um I'm going to butcher a motorsport cliche here ed but you can make a fast car reliable but you can, can't make a reliable car fast is that is that that no, you can make a reliable car fast but you can't it might find it hard to make a slow car fast ah yes there we go okay see i told you i'd butcher it didn't i but i think that's what has i think that's my, okay. my point is that that's what has is encouraged by the oh, you always take the pace over you will take a fast that's what reliable for. car over a ploddy reliable one yeah that's what's and that's ultimately i know you want to go around and pound out like 150 laps every day but we've seen this week the top three teams hit various problems haven't we Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull have all had setbacks so Haas aren't going to be looking at that and going oh you know everyone else has got their stuff together and we're absolutely nowhere so I think they're looking at it like actually do you know what testing's testing we need to actually work out what the problems are if they go away and go okay we couldn't really apply proper countermeasures trackside but we can do it away when we've got the car back and everything and they'll probably go to Australia and be like actually being pretty decent, Nick. And JBL, I'm not sure. We have talked about the house before. I'm not sure there's a great deal to say about it, really. I mean that. I don't mean that as a negative. It's just, it's just doing what it does, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I just take it along. It's obviously very strongly rooted in what Ferrari have got going on, um, especially because they used as many non-listed components as possible. Um, but yeah, no, they're just. They seem to be almost metronomic. They've sort of reached a sort of a critical point now where they're not going to really go any higher unless the investment's a lot greater. So in some respects they're doing it 
Formula One kind of right in a way in that you can't really compete if you're having to do everything yourself and you haven't got quite got the infrastructure or the investment to do so. Um, you know, whether that's what Formula One's all about or not, that's not really for me to decide. That's up for them, uh, up to you, really. But yeah, it just, it's, it's going well for them. Yeah, it's a bit of a glass cannon at the moment, but as Scott says, you kind of want it to find what your problems are and iron them out early rather than go into the season have a trouble free testing go into the season and then realize oh oh it breaks down a lot okay I, I we don't really know how to deal with this so it's good to sort of have these problems now it's like when a driver crashes a lot in testing as well um there's kind of finding the limits and obviously if you learn from that um reset yourself and go forward then you're probably going to be okay so it's probably good to get it out of the way now really isn't it yeah if you're going to blow things up or smash into walls you might as well do it in testing rather than a one of the more serious stuff starts scott alfa romeo lots of interest there with kimi raikkonen moving back after all these years of course alongside antonio giovinazzi fairly good spirits at salber from what we can see although perhaps testing didn't progress from the quite positive starting point they, they started off looking like they might be able to head the midfield maybe they're just a fraction off that despite being in reasonable shape. Well, I think if you look at it from the point of view of what the pecking order will be or will probably be once the season starts and sort of the first part of the season plays out, I think the problem, if there was, if you can call it a problem for Alfa Romeo, was I think they came out of the blocks in testing in the position that they will ultimately be. If you, I know that that's, that's maybe a slightly complicated way of putting it, but I think that they found actually quite a, clo- a, a I think they found the level that's quite close to their sort of peak performance at the moment quite early if, if you see what I mean so closer to their potential yeah basically yeah so so they looked really good and then the teams that you would expect to sort of maybe be just a just a little bit ahead of them have obviously made that progress and got to where they should be because they had a slower start for whatever reason so it looks like Alpha's fallen back when I don't think it's I don't think it's, it's it's necessarily that way. I spoke to Kimi Raikkonen at the end of the last day, and he said that the positivity that was there on day one is still there at the end of the second week. He says it is a big mystery where they're actually going to end up because obviously they don't know; they just know what they're focused on. Um, the car, the the comments about the car suggest that it is still sort of more or less doing what they want it to do. Um, there's still a lot that they would like to work through. There are going to be issues like there are for, for any team up and down the grid. Um, I probably did slightly annoy Antonio Giovinazzi because after his penultimate day in the car, I said to him that when you look around and see the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari suffering loads of problems, must give him a lot of encouragement to see Alpha just rucking up the laps and must have exceeded expectations to have such a solid start. And he said uh, that um, if if they hit problems over the last couple of days, he'd, he'd come and find me. Um, and they have sort of, so I'm, they have sort of had like a little bit of a, sort of slightly tougher end to, to, to testing. Um so I was a little bit worried that sort of I'm gonna look out the window of our of Casa del Auto Sport at any point and just see him like heading down the driveway with a baseball bat or something like that. But apart from minor setbacks, I just think it's a bit the the, the bottom line is if you look at where this team was twelve months ago, Sauber looked absolutely lost heading into the twenty eighteen season because they had a car that was massively tail happy, throwing the drivers off left, right and centre and nowhere. And that technical team progressed to the point where it was a top 10 challenger at the end of the year. Sauber's now morphed into Alfa Romeo. They're starting from a much higher base. They've got a quality team behind them. They've got a, a, a very good lead driver in Kimi Raikkonen. 
So I actually think that, okay, maybe it doesn't quite look as, oh, mega, they're going to be four fastest. And, you know, maybe we're going to see a, an Alfa Romeo podium at some point in a crazy race. Maybe it's not that, but I still don't see any reason why they can't sort of target a point or two in the, in the season opener in Australia. I think that tail happiness characteristic, much, much weaker than it was last year, but I think there is a little hint of that. Still, Jake, the Alpha impressing you? Uh, I must admit, when I saw for, saw it first pound around the track, I was watching a uh, turn 10, and you know, Raikkonen was locking up left, right, and centre. Uh, I know it's a tough corner to... He locked up the centre wheel. <laughs> We've had problems with you before on this about the location of things. <laughs> I think you're taking me uh, a little bit too literally at my word. What do you think about this, the Alpha's front nose? Uh, it's an excellent front nose. Can't wait to see their rear nose. Um, but no, they were... Raikkonen was struggling to get it turned into the corner. Um, and it seemed very, very strange. But it seemed that they dialed that out very, very quickly. And he was very, very happy pretty quickly. Um, obviously, we we have to talk about how it looks. It's very radical design. Um, when you're at that point in the field, where it's such a congested midfield as well, you have to take risks with your design sometimes. You can, you can play it conservative, obviously, but um, you might not have quite as much development potential or uh, anything like that. You've, you've got to be a, not afraid to innovate, really. And um, Alpha have definitely done that taking a slightly left field approach to everything but it's a good looking car interesting looking car and it seems to you know while it's had a little bit of time in the driver's hands seems to perform quite well on track so uh, i'm quite hopeful for it it seems to have some good qualifying pace as well so be interesting to see how it gets on scott looking at toro rosso less so toro rosso the team but more opportunities to talk a bit about the honda engine you have good links with honda so you're always on the pulse with what's going on there how happy are they with, with what they've come out with? Oh, very happy. Second year of their partnership with Honda. Uh, everything's more optimised. Everything is just sort of more tailored to what they want as well. So not only have they sort of ironed out a few things that they thought could be better on the Honda side, they've also um, made it sort of fit to what they want to do on the chassis side. It, it The way it was described to me by the Toro Rosso technical director, Jody Eggington, is that can be nothing major it can be small things like the uh wastegate actuator positioning or um the way the, the 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 air intake is sort of shaped basically um but if it, you can have 20 or 30 small gains in the packaging adds up and it's the sort of thing that in the second year they would have looked to honda to sort of just push the envelope a little bit more and um i'm told that there were a few issues with the the packaging of the engine um just where like they were quite aggressive on the the the, the shape and the, the the size of the piping and stuff like that so um nothing major nothing that set alarm bells ringing but it does show just how much sort of all the parties have basically said okay let's go for it let's sort of try and we need to push the limit here because we want to make progress um but Toro Rosso are absolutely thrilled they've described their car as the most complex chassis they've ever done in terms of integrating the power unit um They've set higher targets than ever on the chassis side, so I think they're I think they're really happy. And we know obviously that they're using some 2018 Red Bull parts as well, uh, making the most of the listed and non-listed parts in the regulations. So I think that uh, Toro Rosso is. I think that I know they're very happy with their car. All signs point to the Toro Rosso being good, but obviously JBL is probably slightly better placed to technically analyse it than I am. I think you've done. A fantastic job with that. I don't know if there's anything I can add, to be honest with you. Yes, get in, finally. Well, I'm going to slightly mark you down because the question I asked more was on the Honda side rather than the Toro Rosso side. So I'd just like to get 
what are Honda themselves really excited about what they've come up with? Oh, I see. I thought I thought you meant no, your answer was very good. No, but I thought you meant what Toro Rosso think about the Honda. Yeah, no, it's, well, well, Honda, it might, well I just think knows, that's I'll, bad podcast hosting, it, personally. Well, a lot of what I do is bad podcast hosting. <laughs> You've just, so you want to know what you want to know how well, how more, Honda just, feel? more just the Honda side. Yeah, of it, it's, so it, typical Honda, really. I mean. You um you were probably better placed uh, than I. I think you would have been Autosport editor in chief when Honda failed to meet their McLaren expectations. Is that right? Yep. Am I getting your career timeline correct? Yeah, you've been consulting my CV. Very good. There we go. Excellent. Is LinkedIn. Um, so I suspect you would have been well um well on top of the the the, the work that I believe uh, our esteemed colleague Ben Anderson and former colleague Lawrence Barreto did in 2017, setting targets and not meeting them was the was the trigger that dissolved the the McLaren Honda union but so so the lingering after effect of that is still being felt in 2019 is that now they're partnered with Red Bull Honda aren't particularly keen to say yeah we've we we reckon we've gained 30 kilowatts over the winter and we reckon we're going to be within 1.15 seconds of Mercedes or anything they're not going to say that what they are happy with they're very happy with the job they've done on the the packaging they they do acknowledge that they've been more aggressive um, I think they've been more creative as well. Um, they've targeted efficiency gains in the combustion engine. They've targeted a little bit of weight saving on the on on the power unit components a little bit more to sort of maybe bulk up the the reliability of it as well without compromising performance. So lots of little things. It is an evolution of last year's um, engine. So I know that I know that they see it as a as as a concept that has untapped potential. Um, I quite enjoy speaking to Toyoharu uh, Tanabe, the Honda F1 technical director, because um, he's always he's such a he's a proper perfectionist. And I said, you know, are you are you happy with this? And he went, I'm never happy. He you know, and, and and laughed. Um, and he also said, you know, that uh, that there were issues that made him nervous through the test. He he won't he won't ever set a big brass target, but he'll always be honest and maybe on the sort of the reserved side as well. So he's actually effectively talking down what Honda have done. He's saying, oh, you know, maybe we're not quite confident about where we are next to Mercedes and Ferrari, but that's just because they don't want to get, for want of a better way of putting it, caught with their, their trousers round by their ankles. Um, but I, I think based on what I've heard from the Rebel side, what Honda are willing to talk about, and also what we've heard from a couple of other people as well, I think the job that Honda's done does look really solid. I think my best way i sort of described it earlier was they had a big challenge to to meet coming in with red bull and it could have overwhelmed them after everything that happened with mclaren but i think they've risen to it jake let's move on to next team racing point there's not a vast amount to say about because we're expecting lots of upgrades from them edit you know a bit unreliable and they had a that car's got the ev18 gearbox and suspension so they have lots into something they know with that uh, from from early on before the before the money taps got got turned on. Do you see that car as something that does have a loss of room for improvement? Uh, yeah, certainly. Because um, currently, as it stands, I think they're probably eighth or ninth at best at the moment. Uh, we know how good that team can be, um, especially because you know they got two two or three consecutive fourth place finishes in the Constructors' Championship. We know yeah, they were twice fourth. Twice. In 16 and 17. And uh, to be honest, if things had been a bit more normal last year, they probably would have been fourth again. Definitely. So, yeah, we know how good that team can be. Um, they've kept all their key personnel, uh, which has been absolutely crucial. They've got more money. Uh, so, 
you know, theoretically they can do it again. It's just, yeah, the car is requiring quite a lot of work. Um, drivers are solid as well. You know, we know how good Sergio Perez can be on his day. Um, you know, he pretty much has a third place reserved on the Baku podium, for example. So whether the racing point will be able to give him the chance to do that again this year. We'll have to wait and see, really. It's going to be a case of what they bring to Melbourne, whether it's good enough. Um, my feeling is that they'll still struggle a little bit. They'll probably be around the same area as Toro Rosso and maybe Haas every now and again. But I think this might be a sort of a little bit of an off year before they can really kick on for 2020. But it's, it is a little bit early to be writing them off. We know that they can perform, so hopefully they will do. I think one of the things that has... Um sort of saved racing point a little bit is how bad Williams have had it in testing because I know we were told that racing point would roll out with effectively a, a vanilla launch car and we're expecting them to, to have this aggressive development program but I I must admit I did expect to see a bit more in week two I didn't necessarily I didn't have any concerns for that team when they had like a low-key first week but they never really had a, a sort of gut-busting run of uh run of laps they never really had a particularly stunning lap total at the end of any of the days i saw i think i'm right in saying that perez did clear 100 today but so what teams were clearing 100 laps on the first day and just got the impression that they were basically sort of doing what they i felt like they were doing effectively the minimum of what they needed to do to work through their program with this car because almost and and, and i am guessing here because there's there's not a huge amount that we, that we've been able to glean from the team. My assumption is that that's because there are such big changes coming that there is only going to be a finite amount that they can do at this test. So a lot of it is about basically making sure because racing point and and you'll know this better than than I Ed, are really really good at um the at their development work and in terms of prioritizing sort of what they do bang for buck all of that stuff. So if any team is going to make is going to be very good at making sure that what their base package is like is good enough that it will be it'll be those guys because it's the force india guys from before isn't it yeah that that team is excellent it's outstandingly led by andrew green the technical director and it just if any team can every team if they're starting not so well will always say yeah we intend to make gains force india as was is the team that's generally done that that started maybe with a bit of a basic car brought b specs and that kind of thing and just just rocketed up the order it really is good at that well, if i can just interject just one moment you already have uh but if you because i was having a little bit of a closer look at the racing point today um and if you look at the front wing i was very sort of intrigued by it because it does look I don't know, I wouldn't say basic as such, but it's sort of a bit of a halfway house, if you like. And I was having a look at it, and I did a little bit of a comparison to what they ran in the Hungry Young Drivers test last year. So it was them and Williams that ran the trial wings, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and apart from the end plates, it's pretty much the same wing. So, yeah, I think if they don't come to Melbourne with something big in reserve then yeah uh, something's gone a little bit wrong there i think and the next team is mclaren scott you uh, heard from some of the mclaren key people today what's their sort of spirit they came into it with a kind of spirit of humility they didn't want to get down the the line of making bold predictions and then spectacularly meeting them well, they've had some nice flashy lap times on the, the leaderboard at times over the, the eight days of testing what's are they still 
keeping their heads down and not getting too carried away. Yeah, I was just trying to find there was a there was a line from Gilles de Ferran that I I thought sort of encapsulated McLaren's testing as a whole, mainly because it was sort of the best way I could put it. Because I don't want to sound like I'm sledging them for no reason. It's kind of like there's sort of a lot there, but nothing really of substance. And I kind of feel like that was what McLaren's testing was like. There were like some few a few headline times when other people weren't doing low fuel runs, but actually once it all shook out and you assessed it properly, it's kind of like you've not done anything there. And I think the way um, I think the way sort of uh, Gilles was sort of looking at it. Um, it's basically it's just an extended version of the answer oh we don't know what where we are and time will tell i think that's probably because mclaren are aware that they've not made a massive step forward with this car compared to the troublesome 2018 car and when uh glorified guest and uh 2019 test driver fernando alonso was in the paddock the other day Remember the name because, you know, I think you might be able to use this test opportunity to maybe go on and do something quite good. So Fernando Alonso, that is. Um, he was saying there are some things that they've, you know, the, who he's spoken to, the feedback he's got from Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris, the two race drivers for this year, that there are things that McLaren wanted to implement for this year that have gone better than expected, but there are things that haven't and things that still need to be worked on. And I just don't think... I don't think it's been a it's not been a perfect preseason because they would have probably hoped for more on in terms of the ultimate pace that they've seen from the car. And your thoughts on the car, Jake? Well, I had a good look at it at the launch. I assume it there were still things still to go on it. You didn't uh, just look at it. You you did a video with it. I it's did still do a video with it. YouTube Autosport YouTube page and on Autosport.com, Motorsport TV as well. A fantastic plug there, Ed. I enjoyed that. Seamless, uh, wasn't it? People barely <laughs> noticed it happened. It seems so organic. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. No, I was lucky enough to get up close and personal with it. I was a bit surprised that no one else was going around it. Um, I think because Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris were also in the route in the vicinity, that they were a little bit more intrigued by them. Um, but no, it's got a lot of interesting bits on it. I was saying, I was talking about Alpha being quite a radical design. McLaren has still not been conservative with its design it's just that's the other end of what a radical design can be there are bits that you're not going to get right and because you've gone so out there there are bits that you're still going to struggle to understand and whether it's as much of a step over last year or not i don't think we can truly say at this moment in time it's a bit difficult um but even if last year was like that was the the crest of their slump the the, the nadir Hopefully they're on their way back up because it'd just be nice to see them move up the grid a little bit. Yeah, I've I've just found the Deferan quote, and I'm not going to read out in full because it's a long answer, but to summarise effectively what I was saying about saying something that sort of looks interesting but actually isn't. Uh, when he was asked how he how he thinks McLaren have done here, his reply, the start of his reply is. Interestingly enough, my gauge on this test is is the following. From a competitive perspective, it is really hard to gauge, to be honest. That's the start. So, you see what I mean? Like, there there just isn't anything there. Jill said that he wouldn't give him a 10 out of 10 for this test. He said he'd give him a decent score. I didn't say what it was. He said he'd be giving him a decent score. And he said that they ticked off their major goals, which was um, uh, good mileage, understanding the car, and making sure that the car runs okay. 
and uh, integrating the new drivers into the team. Now, for me, the big one that's missing there is performance. And there's no mentioning of performance. And I know that it's difficult to, as Jill said, difficult to gauge and, and you don't really want to put a, a sort of number on it or say where you are. But I think the fact that they're not talking themselves up after the problems that they've had last year, to me, I don't think it's the fact that they've learned their lessons from the past and they're being a bit more muted. I think it's because they know that they probably don't have a particularly front of the, the midfield package at the moment. Well, JBL, there's a bit of commotion going on in the kitchen. I think your presence is required. So just a quick summary on the final car, the Williams. Um, I, I, <laughs> I find it really hard to talk about because it's got some really interesting bits of kit on it. But at the same time, we know that it's not quick. It's uh, velocitarily challenged for want of a... I don't want to say it's slow um, because it... This team's worked so hard to try and get a car together, um, especially, you know, it's been a tough couple of years. Um, they've been really up against it and somehow turned up last week with uh, a car two days in. Um, they've, this is the first week where they've been able to get some actual running in. Um, but they, if if anyone can argue otherwise that they won't be at the back, especially at the start of the season, um, then, you know, you'd have to argue pretty hard. Um there's there's a lot of development work still on it. Um, I, I was a little bit scathing in another video that we did with our uh, technical illustrator and guru Giorgio Piola. Uh, I gave them a four out of ten for their technical development so far. Um, but I would like to, again, I'd like to see them just find something and be able to just haul their way up to the back of the back to the front. Well, we heard earlier from Ben Anderson on uh, what uh, what the demeanour is from uh, from Williams with Kubica not being delighted. So I think we should we should wrap it up there because you need to go and attend to, to the kitchen. We need to attend some to some eating. So thanks very yeah. much, Jake Boxall Leg. Sort that rice out. Yeah, exactly. And also thanks very much to Scott Mitchell. Uh, please do head to autosport.com. There's all sorts of news and stories from testing you can uh, you can take on board there. Our plus subscriber area, we've got my overall analysis of, of the test. We've got Gary Anderson and Karun Chandok's uh, pieces to come. Karun's will focus on some of his trackside impressions, and Gary has done a in-depth performance analysis and looking how that fits in with the general wider performance trends of the team. Uh, Autosport Magazine, Current shelf issue uh, covers the first test, but there'll of course be really in-depth coverage on our special season preview issue out on March the 7th. That's next Thursday. Do check out sister titles, motorsport.com, F1 Racing Magazine, out monthly, and Motorsport News, out every Wednesday. And if you fancy a flutter, download the Pit Stop betting app. We hope you've enjoyed our daily Autosport podcasts from testing. We've certainly enjoyed doing it, even if it has delayed dinner a few times. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Also Sport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo. Written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hey, what's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything, but losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you've got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text CLAY to 203203. Text CLAY to 203203. Or go to bosley.com. That's bosley.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.